0: Welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast from Wales Online. My name is Matt Southgoo and I'm joined today by our rugby writer Andy Howell. And on the phone from the Aviva Stadium is Ben James, who's been out there covering the game for us. Before we get started, thank you very much for how you're listening to this podcast. We really appreciate you guys joining the show. Um, If you could give us a a like and a subscribe, um, and if you could give us a review and a rating as well, we'd really appreciate that. On with the rugby then. Unfortunately, not a great day for Wales, losing 24 14 at the Aviva Stadium. Ireland claiming a bonus point win. Bit of a reality check and a bump back down to earth for Wales. Andy, I'll start with you. Uh, where was the game won
1: and lost? We'll start, uh, up front, uh, Wales', Wales line-out wasn't good enough. Even though they were winning ball, wasn't clean possession. They were under pressure as well at the scrum. Ireland had a lot more solid platform, so they were able to uh, control the game, dictate for their halfbacks and they also had quite a clever strategy in the first half where they attacked from uh, deep because the Wales uh, wingers were at times back waiting for kicks, and Ireland were able to get outside of Welsh defence, made a lot of metres from that. It was quite relentless from them, particularly in the first half. They dominated in terms of territory and possession. Wales did well to only be uh, five points behind at half uh, time, And, and Wales did have a couple of moments in the second half after Ireland increased their lead, but the Hadley packs dropped the ball over the try line with the line at his mercy, and then there was a key scrum near the Irish line where Wales were penalised, and after that uh, they never looked like winning again. Uh, ben, obviously you were the man on the
0: ground out there. What, what did you make of it, and where, where did you think Wales came unstuck?
2: Uh, yeah, probably largely agree with what uh, Andy had to say there. You know, I think um, the scrum started well. I think we, uh, you know, we we seemed to give a good picture to Roman Poit early on. Um, even heard Alan wynne Jones using those words, you know, keep keep, you know, putting that same picture out there because I think Roman Place as a referee, when a team gets on top early in the scrum, he tends to to sort of go with that throughout the afternoon. But that wasn't the case. I thought Ireland came sort of uh, stronger in, in the second half and it sort of culminated in that massive uh, scrum where Dylan Lewis went down in the second half. And, and that was probably the the, the sort of the turning point really was you know your Wales like they did in the World Cup semi-final against South Africa, they put all their eggs in chasing that try rather than maybe building a score. Maybe it wasn't the, the weather conditions to build a score through penalties. Uh, obviously, the storm, I think, is, is just about here. I'm somewhere deep in the bowels of the Aviva Stadium. I think the storm's about to hit. Um, so, hopefully, I'll get out safely. But um, <laughs> it, just, it was just a, a, a strange day for Wales in terms of just a, a number of mistakes all across the board. You know, at, at key times, the scrum didn't go to plan at that 60-minute mark. There was about eight handling errors. Um, and, and, yeah, just just... Just, just a sort of culmination of, of errors, really.
0: Andy, we've touched on the the scrum being a big moment there, but what about the the parks disallowed try? Then are we are we in agreement that that was a no try?
1: Yeah, definitely. You know, as the Wayne pivot the coach, has said you know that he didn't didn't ground the ball; he lost it uh, as he was trying to put it on the on the on the deck. So yeah, no no complaints over that. And uh, Ben, what what was the
0: the general reaction to the game among the the travelling press uh, that you've been dealing with out there? And what's the, the sort of general vibe around Wayne Pivac and, and Alan wynne Jones in the press conference after the
2: match? I mean, in terms of the, the travelling pack, everyone just largely accepts that Ireland were that little bit better in pretty much every area of the, of the game. Um, in terms of the, the vibe from Pivac and Alan wynne Jones, you know, Pivac came out immediately and said. It was unacceptable, particularly the handling errors. Obviously, that's the way that he's going to want this game to develop. You know, people, I think Andy Farrell talked about, you know, that they're looking to play the Scarlet's way, and, and today was, well, it was nothing like the Scarlet's way because just of the amount of handling errors and turnovers, and, and that's something that Wayne Pivak, uh, you know, called himself unacceptable. When Alan wynne Jones was asked what needs to improve, the first thing he said was results, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, quite, quite staunchly, but then he, you know, he, he also talked about. You know the processes and, and, and handling, and it's clear that that's what they want to improve. And today they just sort they fell quite short uh, short of the mark.
1: Yeah, Ben, can you give us an indication as a man on the ground over there what conditions were actually like? You know, what,
2: it, was, it was a tough one because obviously, uh, as you two will know, the the press box in the Stadium is is quite high up, so you couldn't really get a good indication of 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 which way that the wind was swirling down in in sort of pitch level. Uh, there were, there were moments when I felt that the, the wind must have been coming towards the press box, towards the tunnel, um, and there were times when it, it must have been going the other way. I think it just was swirling around. Um, there's a fl- there's flags down the far end of the ground, which give you some indication, but there was a few kicks today, I think, Bigger put one uh, behind the Irish defence, and Lama was just caught out completely, and then there was a few sort of the island put the other way, and, and, and the wind did seem to take them. It, it, it wouldn't have been ideal conditions, and that's probably why Wales... In particular, didn't look to build a score in that second half when they were chasing the game a little bit, because um, you know they they could have kicked a, f- a few kickable penalties and 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 put themselves back in, in into touching distance. But like they did in the World Cup, they they decided to keep going for the line-out to get the try. And as Alan Wynn Jones said, we we were virtually vindicated by decision, except obviously Hadley Parks fractionally knocked it off.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, um, ben, there seemed to be a bit of a, a, a discussion over... The, I know you were on the ref, mic for us today. There seemed to be a, a bit of a discussion over the Josh van der Fleer try. Uh, Roman Poit very quickly said that he has no idea whether a try has been scored, but his, his touch judge seemed to convince him that the try had been scored. Um, they did check with the TMO, but from that moment where they went with an on-field try... It seemed inevitable that the try would stand. What what did you make of of that whole sort of exchange between the the officials and and the eventual decision?
2: Yeah, it was it was a strange one. Obviously, when, when you hear the words "I have no idea" come out of a referee's mouth, you, you know immediately you sort of your ears prick up and you think, "What's going on here?" Um, and I think a large a large part of it, I think, from what I could hear, it, it, it sort of comes down to, to Roman um, It... <laughs> sort of a uh, handling of the english language because i think his exact words were i have no idea what's happened i've i've seen it grounded but i haven't seen the grounding mm. so obviously he's seen the ball on the floor he just doesn't know how the ball's got to the floor
1: yeah. so uh, he looked, in, that, he, in he, that regard it seemed to me um, that he was know, more badly uh, he was actually pretty quite poorly positioned to try and Luke Pierce had a much better view of it and then when he had a conversation and what they checked afterwards was about uh, whether if Ireland had knocked on
2: yeah. yeah I mean if you, if you say you know you, you've seen the balls on the floor but you don't know how it's grounded I, I, can you give an on-field decision a, a, as try it, sure, surely you'd have to you know have have some idea that of the grounding before you could give it because obviously then if, as was the case, if there's no sort of conclusive evidence, then to prove otherwise, the try is not going to get yeah. disallowed.
1: Yeah, I think though that uh, p s gave him the evidence, said it, well, you know, yeah. that it was grounded by the Irish.
2: It, it
0: did feel like uh, that. Pierce sort of Took made the that, decision yeah. for him in many ways, and uh, and you know it's difficult to to disagree if if your colleague says he saw it, then yeah, you know you've got to go with it, I guess, but. You know, it, it's a very difficult one. And I think, like we've said, as soon as it was deemed an on-field try, it's difficult to reverse it then, isn't it?
2: I did quite like uh, Josh van der Fleer when Tipperick went over his try at the end. Obviously, similar situation. That was a maul that came apart a little bit and Tipperick reached over. And I think van der Fleer was immediately into a, Roman Poitier uh, to complain. And he just turned around and said, it was just like your try.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go.
0: Um, ben, I want to come to you on this, because I know this one will have caught your eye. The Welsh defence um, is getting a lot of criticism. Um seemed to me, f- from a very early on, really, that Wales were, were offering Ireland the outside and, and letting their wide channels um, a little bit open um, to, to exposure. Um, Ireland got a lot of joy out wide today. Uh, what did you make of the way that Wales defended and, and the way they tried to implement their system?
2: Well, it's, it's interesting, because my, my initial thoughts were that Wales were defending sort of quite narrow on purpose. Obviously, we've seen with Wales that they sort of have 13 men in a line and uh, normally the fullback and the fly half working in a pendulum system. And it just felt like they were defending that way, only just a little bit more narrow. So North was almost in the 13-channel, Tompkins a little bit inside him. And then it was just giving Halfpenny a lot of work to sort of fill that gap. And when you're playing someone like Jacob can who loves to chip behind Mm -hmm. into space, having Lee Halfpenny flying up... To vacate that space is the worst thing possible. But as, as Pivac said afterwards, you know that wasn't the plan. It was just a sort of case of maybe Ireland getting quick ball and not allowing Wales to sort of get line speed. And I, I I've seen sort of Lee Jarvis and Scott Baldwin go and had it on Twitter. Actually, funny enough, just to, I was in the press room and Lee Jarvis is sort of saying that Wales were defending out to win. But I think what Scott Baldwin's getting at, I think this is the case, judging by what Pivac has said, is. It is just that there were some individual errors, and that maybe comes down to Nick Tompkins not being at home in this defence, having come from the Saracen setup, and maybe not fully understanding what his role should have been.
0: Yeah, Andy, I know we just discussed this on our live Facebook show, the Game Line as well, which is every lunchtime throughout the Six Nations, you can tune in over on the Wales Rugby Facebook page. You were saying that it's difficult to implement your defensive system when. Ireland are playing with all the momentum and winning the battle up front.
1: Yeah, of course, because Ireland were on the front foot and they had time and space in which to uh, operate. If they'd been in Wales's situation, they wouldn't have been able to play like they, uh like they did. So, and, uh you know, let's st- you know, Ireland got good players as well. Their half backs, the Lions' half backs. I uh, thought so Sexton had a really good game today. Controlled there, got two top centers in uh, Aki and Robbie Encho, who was actually my man of the match despite only being mm. on there for about forty five minutes. Yeah, and uh, you know, he caused Wales massive problems in uh, midfield Nick Tompkins early days for him but he found out today unlike against Italy how tough international uh, uh, rugby it is we can't blame him you know he's a rookie at this level at the moment and uh, you know he he'll he'll should learn from this uh, experience but then Ireland's handling was good it was crisp and they you know Jordan Lemo is good running fullback and uh, as Ben said you know they got good wingers on the outside so you know the Ireland are a good side and well they've lost once at home in the Six Nations in eight years I believe uh, in seven years and last time Wales won that was in uh, in the six nations which was in twenty twelve so when you look at like uh, uh, in that light you know, if Wales could have won over that the day would have been some achievement
0: but yeah absolutely you know, like Ben one of the one of the big talking points Ben was heading into this one was as we've touched on a little bit was the scrum uh by and large i think it was a a fairly satisfactory day although it did it did come down you know the the scrum was conceding a penalty in the build-up to Tyke Verlong's try, which I actually thought should have gone the other way. Um, and then, obviously, Dylan Lewis giving up the key penalty uh, midway through the second half. How did you feel uh, the scrum went compared to, to how it did against Italy?
2: Um, I mean, I, I, I agree largely with that sentiment. I think, they, they obviously, they placed great emphasis on starting the scrum well. I think that first scrum showed that. Um, and then, as obviously Alan wynne Jones said, it was about keeping that picture, and I think they did that. And and maybe that scrum in the build to the furlong try maybe changed Poit's opinion of what was going on, rightly or wrongly. And then, sort of the second half, it um it did sort of unravel a bit. But it was it was interesting in listening to Roman Poit. He's um he's not exactly hot on instructions when it comes to scrum. There's very little feedback. It's just uh, what you did last time was good, um, even if there was a penalty or not. You know, he, he kept telling. I think w- Wynn Jones was penalised, and he, he said, "Well, what you did last time was fine. You were straight, so you know, just do that again." So it, <laughs> it, it was, it was, it was interesting to listen to. Um, I, I can see why Johnny Sexton and Alan Wynn Jones became more and more vocal as the game went on.
0: Yeah, just on that actually, Ben. Before I come to Andy on the line lineouts, um, we, we had a, a question on our on our game line show from a from a, a viewer. Uh, basically saying that Johnny Sexton seemed to be very vocal, whereas Alan Wynne Jones was a little bit more perhaps selective in, in his in his uh approach to, to Roman Poit. You know, you had the the earpiece in and the and the link to the referee. What did you make of how Sexton and Alan Wynne approached Roman Poit and perhaps what the differences were?
2: Um I mean the irony is with the ref, like, you couldn't always pick up a lot of what Johnny Sexton was saying because he's normally coming from a greater distance and yeah. I think a points, Roman Poit was maybe trying to hide from him. Um, <laughs> there was one or two, one or two occasions where he was speaking to Connor Murray and instead. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, it was interesting. I think maybe Roman Poit's maybe quite a, a, a passive ref in how he, in how he officiates. So I think there's probably was the sort of game where as a captain, you've got to get into him. And that's what Johnny Sexton did throughout. And we, we, we you know, we saw Alan Wynne Jones, Step in now and then. I think there was one part where he, he knew he had to step in. I think that's. um, I think Wales just got a, a penalty in the red zone. I think CJ Standard had gone off his feet. Um, and then, you know, Sexton turned it on his head and said, well, you know, we're going off our feet because they're, they're you know, they're entering the ruck off their feet. So, you know, they're sealing sealing things off. Um, and that's the one thing that Alan Wynne Jones took on Bridgers. I think he said, you know, you, you can't say that, you know. So, Maybe he was a bit more selective in, in what he said, but um, you know, he still got involved. Uh, you know, he,
1: That's no bad thing, though, was is quite, it? Ben? quite
2: a frustrated uh, expression when CJ Stander finally got his yellow card, and then I think when Tiprick scored, he, he immediately went over to Roman Poiton and said, that should have happened you know, yeah. a while ago.
1: Ben, I think that, that is no bad thing, though, being quite restrained. Alan Wynne-Jones, that was the Sam Warburton method of captaincy. I think Alan Wynne has learned that over the years. I think, personally, that uh, Sexton overdoes it. He's into the referee too much, and I think that can get him on the wrong side of uh, of, uh, of refs. And actually, today, even though he was quite talkative in some respects, he was a little bit restrained for him. You know, if uh, if Wales had managed to get in front of him, you know, he and then could have gone off on one.
2: Well, yeah, that's 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 a good point. Yeah, I think um, a lot of the Irish view here is that they didn't get much change at a Roman Poit in that first half. Yeah, I agree um, with that. So, so you know that's that's largely why Sexton probably went after the referee more. So um, and, and maybe that's why they didn't get much change out of the referee. You know as much as I've seen, you know, large contingents of Welsh Twitter saying that Roman Prywet wasn't great from a sort of a, a Welsh point of view. I don't think the Irish were, were thrilled with some of his officiating. So um, you know maybe maybe Sexton saw that as a need to, to get more involved than he should have. But you know I, I think when it comes to referees, you you are best like Alumin Jones did, like Sam did. Sort of saving your bullets.
0: All right, then let's move on uh, slightly. And th- the line out doesn't seem to be functioning particularly well at the moment. It was a little bit iffy at times against Italy and, and it came back to, to bite Wales out in Dublin as well, didn't it?
1: Yeah, it did because they were under pressure that line out, though they won most of their line as wasn't great ball and up at the end of that, course, that puts the half-backs under pressure. I think maybe Wales are going to have to look at their line-up composition, particularly as they play in France next. We've got you know an athletic back row, players can compete in the line-out. Do Wales need an Aaron Shingler in the back row to win some ball? I mean, I'd argue their best lock jumper is Corey Hill. Obviously, he wasn't considered for this game because of injury. If he's fit, I guess he must come into the reckoning. And the ploy Wales use a lot under Warren Gatland, was they, they used to use Um at the line out as an insurance policy. They'd move him up and down the uh, line out, and he was almost a one man team. If they threw it in his direction, he seemed to win it. I think Wales had gone away from using him uh, so much, but they've got to get that line out right because you've got to have your, your, same as the scrum, your basics have got to be right to win at this level against the best teams. Yeah, absolutely. Ben, does. Does this almost feel like a, a little bit of a missed
0: opportunity in many ways for Wales today? Because for for all we've talked about, they were they were five points behind at half time, um, albeit having been you know outplayed in many facets of the game, and a lot of the the uh, Irish points came directly from Welsh mistakes, or I suppose conversely, were those mistakes as a result of of Irish pressure and continued Irish pressure?
2: Um. Yeah, like I I think. You know, obviously there was Irish pressure, but I think you know if you look at the Irish tries, you could you could very easily say you know four Irish tries, four Welsh mistakes, and obviously they they did put pressure on, but they they were gifted a lot of territory and possession by maybe Wales, overcomplicating things on exits and and just not, you know, being smart with the ball, and you know so defensively we had a few lapses handling, we had a few lapses, and the frustrating thing was it was 26 minutes of, you know, fairly. Average rugby from Wales. Um, And then from a lineup, which ironically Tiprick was moved out of into the back line, uh, they took a risk. Tiprick came in as, a, I think it was, second or third receiver. They got the ball to the touchline off two phases, and then suddenly they went through about four, five, six phases of nice inside balls and working and manipulating the Irish defence. And and it resulted in a try for Thomas Williams after some nice interplay between Dan Bigger and Alan jones And that that was frustrating because that was sort of a glimpse into what can happen if the handle errors don't happen and and the offloads do come off. But the problem then was that Wales didn't really know when or where to, to, to sort of look for them and, and the errors just kept coming.
1: Well he lacked accuracy, didn't he? That was their
0: problem. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: All right, and then we've we've worked, uh we've looked back and it's now gonna be well, it's eight years now since Wales have won in Dublin. It'll probably be ten. The Six by, nations, yeah. By the time they go back out there, is this becoming uh,
1: a problem? Of course, it's a problem. But let's you know, let's look at Ireland's record over the years. Ireland been one of the best teams in the world. You know, they've topped the world rankings, they've won Grand Slams, and uh, it is difficult, isn't it, when you go to places uh, uh, like that, you're up against top sides. You know, you've got to have a good side, and you've got to play your best to um, to win there. So I don't think it's a mental problem. I just think today they were just a shade too good for us. And that lack of accuracy by Wales cost uh, Wales any chance of uh, of winning over there. I'm I'm not concerned about the fact that we haven't beaten uh, uh, Ireland Six Nations over there for that uh, uh, long. I don't see that as a, as as an issue uh, at all. I just think they're a really good side. Same as Wales, they're a really good side.
0: Is there a little bit of a frustration here, Ben? Though, because we all talked in the build up to this. You know, two years ago Wales were bullied out there. They let Ireland get off to a good start. And, and you know, if, if Ireland get out into a lead on their own patch, then, you know, all the best in trying to reel them in. But, you know, Wales, Wales pretty much did everything... Well, they did everything right to lose a game in Ireland, really, didn't they? they? They made errors. They let Ireland get out in front and they let the crowd get their tails up. And, you know, so in that regard, we knew exactly what Wales had to do to keep control of this match and they failed to do it. So is that a, a source of frustration?
2: I think so yeah I mean you know before kick off it, it felt quite flat and in in the Aviva stadium there was a, a few empty seats up until the last few seconds and you know there wasn't too much of an atmosphere and then obviously that first 10 15 minutes Ireland were on top and they they blew a number of opportunities obviously yeah, that uh, the the the, the line-out drive uh, that was taken down and and they would have been frustrated that they you know blown such a good start, and so that should have been a warning sign for Wales that you know we got to you know buck up or this is going to get ugly. And if anything, it, that didn't really happen. I mean that they did well to stay stay in the hunt in that first half, but you know at the end of the day, this was a a, a defeat to Ireland where you don't really remember many punches being thrown. Mm.
0: All right then, and let's let's try and be a little bit more positive. And um, what were there, were there any points of that game that, that Welsh fans and, and the Welsh management really, I suppose, can can look at and say, oh, okay, well at least that went went okay.
1: Well, they try, you know, show sure what can be done if you if you um, if if your handling is good and your lines and you keep the ball and a, and are a patient. Wales said, uh, which you would expect with a new coach, you, they have plenty of passion, plenty of pride, uh, plenty of determination. You know, they still still a good side. And, um, yeah, I think there were still some positives in their play when Josh Adams was on the pitch, even though you only touched the ball a few times. He made a lot of ground. You know, he, he's lethal, probably the most lethal finisher in world rugby at the moment at test level. And, uh, you know, he looks, uh, uh, he's a good player. So if you've got people like him on the side, you can always score. Uh, the, the The point is Ireland, you know, you look before the championship, three top teams potentially in the championship, coming into it would be Wales, Ireland and England not necessarily in that uh, order so when you, you know, you're you up against the best you've got to play such fine margins and Wales didn't quite get that uh, right today they got themselves in the second half if, they'd, if Pax's try had been allowed or Wales has scored from the scrum where they got penalised there's every chance they would have gone on and won that game mm. or got a draw but, uh, you know, after that, they did peep it out a bit, as it did against the Africa in the World Cup, uh, cup semi-final. You know, they w- wasted one key moment, and then that sort of went away from them as well. I don't think there's anything we should be concerned about. I think the defence does need tightening, and they've got to uh, improve their work. At the line-out, whether that's by changing some of the personnel or not, is the issue Pivot has got to address over the next couple of weeks. As regards the scrum, they've got a problem there because they're missing uh, Thomas Francis. They need someone to really grab that tight-head jersey. Uh,
0: Ben, Andy touched on injuries there, particularly to Josh Adams. What was the latest from the press conference? We obviously saw Dan Bigger going off and and not returning, having failed uh, a HIA, and, and Josh Adams departing... Uh, quite early, as Andy touched on as well. Was there any sort of update from Wayne Pivac as to what might have happened there? Um,
2: not a, not a great deal. Uh, he took a knock on the hip uh, in the first half, and um, so he'll be having that checked out. Um, I mean, he, he, obviously, you'd be loath to sort of guess, yeah. a sort of an estimate at this point, but you know, it didn't didn't look too great. You know, having having a, a winger like Josh Adams going off the pitch. Um, Obviously, he was quite reluctant to go off, so I don't know whether maybe he thought he, he, he could play on. Um, it took a good few sort of 10, 15 seconds for Owen Poit to convince him that he was indeed going off the pitch. Mm-hmm. So, hopefully that's a good sign.
1: Yeah, Andy, Andy, what, ooh, I, uh, I'd actually uh, be more concerned about Bigger because he's had quite a few uh, concussions now, uh, HIAs, you know, over the last, um, at the World Cup and we have, and uh So, he has got a bit of history. So, I think they will. Uh, he will have to be thoroughly, uh uh, checked out on TV with Adams. He's obviously taken that knock. He was limping a bit. Then he had a corner flag over the other side to cover. He was limping more. I think it was a sensible decision to take him off, not to risk further damage. It looked like an impact injury on her hip. I suppose the good news on all that is Wales have got, well, nobody's playing
0: next week now. So they've got two weeks to get everybody right. Dan Bigger obviously will go through his protocols um, and go through all the relevant checks. So they've got a bit of time uh, to get him right and obviously try and sort out. Uh, Josh Adams is hip, if at all possible.
1: Ben, what did you think of uh, Jared Evans? He had you mean know, almost the second half on the pitch. How do you think he went? I was
2: pleased with uh, how Jared went on in the, in that second half. Um, obviously, it was a tough ask being thrown into you know uh, a Wales team that were were down in Dublin and and, and somewhat chasing the game. But I thought he was uh, he took the ball to line well. I thought he was fairly reserved in what he did, but he also took a few risks. Um, and I thought he'd, he'd come out of that experience the better. You know, it was unfortunate maybe that people weren't always on the same wavelength as him, and and maybe the options weren't there. For, you know, he was, at, at times he was looking for passes that weren't on simply because of a, a lack of teammates. Um, maybe that's to be expected when you're playing in Dublin, and obviously you've got to commit more men to the breakdown in in, in, in a chasing cause and in, in a losing cause. But yeah, I was I was pleased with how Jared
1: went. Ben, the Welsh public, they seem to think that uh, they seem to turn on uh, George North. They see him as a, uh, a, a scapegoat uh, nowadays, uh, despite him, you know, not getting much bought today. So personally, I didn't think it was his fault Wales lost. Uh, what, what's your thoughts on his contribution?
2: Um, I mean, it's 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 hard to know how much the defensive side of things yeah. was to do with him. Obviously, he was sort of caught narrow, but then. If if your if, if your inside outside centre is, is getting caught narrow too you sort of drift across to cover that so I'm um, I'm not sure how much of that was to blame what was disappointing was maybe the the, the lack of um, touches with ball in hand um, I've, uh, from from memory I can remember one inside ball that he took off Jake Ball which was quite nicely worked and I thought that was a nice way of getting George North into the game you know taking inside balls off. You know, pods of forwards because that that you know that's that's bringing him into a part of the game that he wouldn't normally be in, and in, in, into an area of the defense that he wouldn't normally test. And and that's that's always half the battle with George North is is how do you you, you get him in playing in the right parts of the field to test defenses when you know he is a, he is a marked man. But beyond that, you know, I think his next touch was what the 60th minute when um, Wales tried to play out from the 22 and he, he knocked it on. It, it, you know, it was you don't want to use the word anonymous, but it was largely a, an, an enormous performance on the wing, um, but then it was also one of those days. You know, I thought Johnny McNichol showed a few glimpses, a few sparks, but it was you know a tough game for him to get into as well. Looked a bit fallible under the high ball. Um, so yeah, in terms of Wales's wing, it's not not a great day.
0: All right, then. Let's before we uh, call it a day on on the podcast, Andy. It's a defeat for Wales, and it's very easy in this situation to be
1: all doom and gloom. Is the championship over? No, if they beat France, which uh, you know they should do in Cardiff, the um, championship is very much back on because um, you know Ireland's next match is uh, against England away. So, it could conceivably there could be a situation after the the next round of matches where the three teams uh, tied up, you know, virtually tied on points. So, yeah, Wales got to beat France. It will be doom and gloom if they lose that game, uh, uh, mind you. <laughs> uh, so, you know, yeah. France it's early days of France. They rebuilding. Very young side. Uh, they haven't got a great. Re- re- they played well in in Wales at uh, in Cardiff at times over the past few years, but they haven't got very good results there. So uh, you know, Wales in Wales need to impose themselves from the off in that match, which they did not do today.
0: Do you think this will have been a reality
1: check for Wayne Pivak? Uh, not really, because you know uh, anybody in their right mind. Looking at it from a neutral viewpoint, we know how difficult it, uh, it is to win in uh, Dublin. Uh, that's whether you're Wales, the All Blacks, or South Africa.
0: All right, Dan, and just finally, Ben, the the importance. To ben, what what time's your flight home tomorrow?
2: That's a very good question. Um,
0: <laughs>
2: I think it's sometime around mid. The, no, about two o'clock.
0: All right, yeah, into so so two o'clock. So right well, into the that's, storm.
2: That's, that's, the projected time is 2 o'clock.
0: Not too early. So so what's on the agenda tonight, Dan? Is there a bit of leeway there on Sunday morning?
2: Uh, I think it's finishing off a ref mic piece and then <laughs> um, seeing what the weather's like outside because the last time I was outside, it was getting a bit darker, but i got a feeling it could be raining by
0: now. All right. All right listen, mate, safe travel zone. Thanks for joining us. And Andy, thanks for joining us as well. And, and of course, to you, to the listeners, thank you very much for staying tuned uh, throughout this podcast It's not all over then, as Andy touched on, but we do have a fallow week now in the Six Nations and then the build-up really begins for France's visit to Cardiff in the Six Nations in two weeks' time. You can catch all the fallout from this defeat to Ireland and all the build-up throughout the next two weeks on Wales Online.